When he was a young boy, there was a guy named uh, Charles Foster. And Charles Foster used to stare out his living room window into his front yard at this blackbird that seemed to always be there. And he said it felt like the blackbird was actually staring back at him. And he became fascinated with blackbirds. And so he read about them in the library. He mapped out all of their nests in his neighborhood. He pickled the brain of a blackbird and would stare into this, trying to figure out what you know this blackbird used to think. He had one taxidermied and had it hanging over his bed at night, just twirling around there. Uh, he, he grew up, uh, not to be Edgar Allan Poe, but he, he grew up to be a vet. And he was fascinated with how animals worked. And in being a vet, he, he learned you know, the mechanics of how animals work. But what he really wanted to understand was how animals perceived the world and what they actually knew. And so what he tried to do, and, and he's written a book about this, he tried to actually live like different animals. And one of the animals he tried to live like was a badger. And so he and occasionally his eight-year-old son would try to experiment and figure out what it was like to live like as a badger. And so what they would do, they, they, they dug a human-sized tunnel 15 feet long under the ground, and they would sleep in that occasionally. They would sleep during the day and stay awake at night uh, like badgers do. Um, they would crawl around in the woods on their hands and knees. And because badgers had really bad eyesight to kind of feel what the badgers were feeling, they blindfolded themselves and tried to learn to use their noses to get around. He said after a few weeks they could navigate pretty well blindfolded, that oak trees actually became landmarks for them because evidently each oak tree has a unique smell. His son once said, I smell mice, and he started off in a certain direction, and he found a bunch of voles there in the ground. Uh, Foster himself ate earthworms. He would put them in his mouth and let them try to wriggle through his teeth, and then he would chomp down on them as they were escaping. You can, you can try this at home if you like. Um, and, and, and then he said, after all of this, we can't really know what they're thinking, what their conception of the world is. But we can know their physical experience. But the thing was, he couldn't maintain what it felt like to have that badger experience. He said, you know, when I, I was down on the ground, and you, you kind of get a sense of what it's like, and then you stand up and you take the blindfold off, and everything goes back to perceiving the world as a human does. The, the, uh, the radio host said, the visual world reasserted itself, and his head was filled with thoughts that a badger would never think. Non-badger thoughts, whatever those are. Um, Some of us, and there's a point to this, some of us each week, we feel like we're entering into Christian world. Okay? We go to RUF, or we go to youth group, or we come here for Sunday school or for worship. We, We come into this Christian environment. Kind of put our Christian blindfold on. And we feel good about who God is. And we're regretful for some of the things that we've done during the week. And we repent and we rejoice and we sing. And and we're we're fired up to go back into the world and to live differently the next week. But then we go back out of these doors and we're kind of like Charles Foster standing up and taking that blindfold off. And it's like the fallen world 
reasserts itself all over again. And our heads are filled with thoughts that a Christian would surely never think. And our hearts are filled with attitudes that certainly a Christian would never feel that way. And so it's like we've had this experience and then we're like, okay, and we step back out into the world and we we can't replicate that experience any longer. We have a hard time maintaining out in the world what we profess in here before each other. Why is that? Why why is there that inconsistency? Why is it such a struggle to, to be who we say that we are why is it so hard to live actually live in line with our profession we're going to we're going to think about that this morning uh, and, and hopefully give ourselves something of a way forward so we're going to read from galatians chapter 5 and i'm going to be reading verses 13 through 26 uh, but but our main focus this morning is going to be verses 16 and 17 this is god's word For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We pray for us. Father in heaven, um, I pray that you would help us to see kind of the reality of our situation as uh, believers this morning, to to begin to understand uh, the reality of the struggle that we face each day and the reason behind that. Uh, And Father, I pray that, that through what we talk about, this morning that you would indeed uh, teach us to actually keep in step uh, with the spirit and and live as you would have us to live we pray it in christ's name amen so the first thing i want to talk about this morning is the reality of the struggle and to kind of hit this again verse 17 for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do Now, we use the phrase sometimes, the struggle is real, all right? The struggle is real. And and how do we use that phrase? We usually use that to express express something that is undesirable, 
but not really that critical a problem. For instance, I'm going to make a hot dog for lunch and there are no buns, and so I have to use sandwich bread, okay? And at point, the struggle is real, all right? And, and we use this phrase to, yes, we use, it's actually pretty good. We use this phrase uh, in kind of a first world problem kind of way. Paul is pointing us to something that's not one of those things. It's something, it's, it's a struggle that's universal to the human experience. That it's, it's really much more than a struggle. It, it's a battle, it's a confrontation, it's, it's all-out warfare. And again, it's a reality for every believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, Chris Lungard, in his book, The Enemy Within, d- describes this time when he and his family had been living in a new house for about a year, and the refrigerator in the house, the handles were on the, they wanted the handles to be on the other side of the door. And so they wanted to open the, the opposite way from the way it opened. And so he put this off and put this off, and, and finally he said, I'm going to surprise my wife, and I'm going to get this done. And so he went along, and he got the doors off of the refrigerator, and he was getting ready to take the hinges off, and he realized that he needs something called a torque socket to actually re- remove the hinges, and he didn't own a torque socket. Now, <clears throat> this is like every home improvement project I've ever done, right? Like, you get steps one through five really well, then you get to six, you're like, I don't have this, I'm not sure what this is, I don't know where to find it at Lowe's, so you cuss, and then you leave the house, and you go to Lowe's, and you come back, and you do two more steps, and then you go to Lowe's, right? This is home improvement. So, he, he does this, and he's standing there, he's gotten to this stage in the process, when all of his kids come running through the house, screaming and yelling and fighting with each other just in the midst of his discomfort and he said that at this point he absolutely loses it and he starts screaming and ranting at them and he said it's it's like I had an out of body experience I could see myself red in the face yelling at my sweet little children but when he has this experience he doesn't stop he just continues to yell and then it's sometime later that he kind of gains perspective and says oh that probably wasn't a good thing to do and he goes back and he repents asks for forgiveness from his children y'all that struggle is real that is the Christian experience you've experienced that in traffic You've experienced that with your kids when they're driving you crazy. You've experienced that when you've lost it with a coworker has done whatever they were not supposed to do again. You've experienced that in other areas of your life when you've gone places on the internet again that you shouldn't have gone. You've experienced that when you experience envy, when you experience jealousy, when you talk about that person, you say, I'm not going to talk about them anymore. But then you find yourself talking about them again. That struggle is real. Now look, you, we do make progress in the Christian life. That's very true. Although sometimes it's, it's hard to see because part of what happens is the Christian life is that the longer you're a Christian, you see more of the depth of your sin. And, but we do make progress. We will make progress in the Christian life. But we will also struggle. And there are days when we will just fall flat on our faces. Uh, Our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith that our denomination uses, says that that while we make progress, the remaining corruption in us for a time may much prevail. The, The remaining corruption in us for a time may actually much prevail. So... Why do, we, why do we need to hear this? All right? why, do we, why do we need to be told this? 
Uh, one reason is this. One of the things that new believers often struggle with is, why am I still sinning? Why am I still messing up the way I was messing up before? I, I thought this was all going to go away once I started following Jesus. And, and we're going to talk about the why in a minute. But one of the things you've got to understand is the, the existence of that struggle does not mean that you're not a Christian. It does not mean that you're not a Christian. In fact, it very well could be one of the evidences that you actually are a Christian because you're experiencing that struggle. In fact, if you don't have any sense of a struggle with sin, if you feel like everything's just going like, I'm doing pretty good, me and God, then that's probably a bigger warning sign that you don't understand this, this gospel stuff. The struggle is real. You will make progress, but you and I are never going to get to the point where we don't need the righteousness of Jesus covering our sin. We're never going to move past this need of Jesus stuff. Like we need him at the beginning, but then then it's kind of up to us the rest of the way. Now, a couple of thoughts related to this. Uh, in, in one of the things that's endemic in Southern church culture is that we clean ourselves up and we tell everybody that we're fine. And then we come back the next Sunday and we clean ourselves up and we tell everybody that we're fine. Because we don't want to be those people who actually need Jesus. I kind of, kind of hold that thought. There's a second thing going on in, in our culture. I was just reading this this week. Studies are showing that if you're a millennial, that you're more likely to, to strive for perfection than previous generations. One of the, the, the quotes I read said this, they feel that perfectionism is necessary in order to feel safe, socially connected, and of worth. And so what I want to say to you this morning is whether you're a millennial uh, and you're wrestling with perfectionism or whether you're an old guy like me and you, you're wrestling with this perfectionism of southern church culture, that, that I want you to be able to come here and to be free. To be freed from the need to be perfect. To be freed from the need to feel like you've got to have it all together to, to be a part of this congregation. Because you don't. And you won't. You don't. And you won't. And that's okay. The entire population of this church is made up of strugglers. Struggling with our doubts. Struggling to believe. Struggling to trust God. Struggling to obey God. So, so don't feel like you've got to magically get all your junk together. That, that you've got to like, cover everything up. To cover up your struggle. The gospel is for you in the midst of your struggle. And it's adequate to cover your sin just as much on the 6,000th day of your walk with Christ as it was on the first day of your walk with Christ. And you need it just as much on the 6,000th day of your walk with Christ as you needed it on the first day of your walk with Christ. The struggle is real, but the, but the grace of God is more real and it's bigger. Secondly, so all right, that, that struggle is real. Why? Why do, we, why do I have this experience as a believer in Jesus Christ? Why do I have this struggle? Verse 13, Paul says, Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, what's that word mean, the, the flesh? The Greek word is sarx. 
S-A-R-X is how we would transliterate that. And in the NIV, it's translated sinful nature. And so when Paul talks about the sarks or the flesh or the sinful nature, he's talking about that part of us that wants to sin, that likes to sin, that wants to do our own thing instead of following God, that wants to go our own way, that wants to be our own authority. The, the flesh is that part of us that says, I don't, I don't need Jesus. I can handle life. I can escape mediocrity. I can find happiness. I can find satisfaction. I can find life apart from Jesus. I don't need Him. The, the flesh is like this sinful motivational structure that we carry around that says, I don't need a Savior and I don't need a Lord. I can take care of life on my own. And y'all, the, the flesh, the sinful nature, that's the root of all of the sinful behavior in our life. Like the behavior grows out of that root within us. Uh, we're not a, a sinner simply because we commit sins. We commit sins because that's fundamentally who we are. As um, Dr. Gregory House once said, I don't ask why patients lie, I just assume they all do. It's a basic truth of the human condition that everybody lies. The only variable is about what. So, if that's, if that's true of us, then what happens when we become a Christian? What happens to the sinful nature? What happens to our flesh when we become a Christian? It just like magically goes out the door. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We're all just wonderful and do all the right things all the time, right? No, no. On the one hand, Paul says in verse 24 that if you belong to Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But on the other hand, he says that the reality for the Christian is that the flesh opposes the spirit and the spirit opposes the flesh. And so if you're a Christian, both of these are actually true for you. Uh, On the one hand, you have crucified your flesh it has been nailed to the cross with jesus so that it doesn't dominate you the way it once did it can't dominate you the once the way it once did it can't rule over you the way that it once did but on the other hand uh, and, and paul says this in romans 8 he tells us that we still need to by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body Uh, John Stott, so there's a tension in that, right? John Stott explains the the tension this way. He says, when we came to Jesus Christ, we repented. We crucified everything we knew to be wrong. We took our old self-centered nature with all its sinful passions and desires and nailed it to the cross. And this repentance of ours was decisive, as decisive as crucifixion. So Paul says, if we crucified the flesh, we must leave it there to die. If besetting sins persistently plague us, it is either because we never truly repented or because having repented, we have not maintained our repentance. It is as if having nailed our old nature to the cross, we keep returning to the scene of its execution. We begin to caress it and long for its release, even try to take it down from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It is fatal to examine it and consider whether we we are going to give in to it or not. We have declared war on it 
we are not going to resume negotiations. Um, Another way to look at this is that the flesh has been defeated, but remnants of it are still hanging around, lingering uh, within us. And the flesh never rests. Um, it, it's always there. It's kind of our constant companion. That even on our best days, it's trying to, to pull us away from walking with God. It, it tells us, you'll find the good life if you just disobey in this one area. It's, it's going to be okay. It'll be better if you go in this direction. Or if you actually obey, and things are going to go rotten for you. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be poor. You're just not going to have a good life if you actually obey. And so the, the, the flesh is constantly trying to pull us away from obedience to God. As a Christian, we, we still carry around those remnants uh, of the flesh, of our sinful nature, and that creates conflict within us. Now, why does that create conflict within us? Why don't we just happily give in, like, oh, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to follow the flesh. Why is there actually conflict now? It's because, Paul says, we now also have the Spirit. We have the very Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And the Spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. And that's what creates the conflict. Uh, Jerry Bridges, and this is one of my most helpful ways for me to understand this. Uh, He says the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like this army has invaded the capital of a foreign country. Like you're at war and your army invades the foreign capital and you take over the capital and you kick the leadership out. You kick all the bad guys out. You set up a new government so that, that... that you're now in charge. But the, and that's what the Holy Spirit is like within us. But the flesh is like the bad guys who now have hightailed it to the countryside and are waging guerrilla warfare against the new government. The flesh is not in charge anymore. And the flesh is losing because we are, we are indwelt by the Spirit. But the flesh can still cause a whole lot of trouble in our lives. Um, our confession of faith on sanctification, again, I just find this helpful, it says that sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part. From this arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so I got bad news and good news. Uh, the bad news is the flesh is still around and it's still going to cause you trouble. And so following God is going to be a struggle for us. The good news is if you find yourself not liking that very much, if you find yourself wanting to do battle with the flesh, the reason you have that desire within you, the reason that you care about Resisting the flesh is because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Like that, that resistance in itself is a sign that you're a child of God. And that He is working within you and giving you a new set of desires. And that you're beginning to want to walk in a fundamentally new direction. And that's good news. That's good news. That's, that's one reason the, 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 that struggle, if that struggle exists in you, that is actually good news. So the struggle is real. The struggle is real. 
because there are we while we are indwelt by the spirit there are remnants of the flesh that are still putting up resistance so to speak so what do we do with that i just want to and i want to do this briefly we'll probably unpack this more over the next few weeks what are some resources kind of for going forward with this uh, what is this is in the midst of this struggle remember who you are remember who you are uh, if, if you're a believer, you're a child of God, and you've been given the Holy Spirit, and you don't have to give in to the flesh. Uh, there's a story told, and it may be apocryphal, but it's a good story, so we're going to go with it, um, that St. Augustine, after he was converted, uh, was back strolling the streets of his hometown, and, and he had led a pretty promiscuous life, and one of his former lovers came up to him, and he just kind of like kept walking, kind of blew her off and she ran after him and said Augustine it is I and he said yes but it is no longer I I'm, I'm not who I used to be and so part of resisting the flesh is remember who you are you don't have to go down those paths any longer uh, but secondly remember who you are respond to the, to the word and spirit respond to the word and spirit you know when when we read this this morning, um, you are called to freedom. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Meaning just because justification is true, don't use that as an excuse to go do whatever, whatever you want to do. And then when we read the works of the flesh are evident, and we, we read that list, and we read, but here's the fruit of the Spirit. And you hear that, and maybe you're convicted by that. And you look at those and say, yeah, I kind of am doing some of those things. Or I'm not sure I see the the fruit of the Spirit evident in my life like it needs to be. Don't don't just ignore that. Don't don't stuff that. Like, oh, well, too bad. Think through that. Uh, Talk to me about that. Talk to Matt about that. Talk to Coleman about that. About what it looks like to respond to the Spirit when the Spirit uses the word to bring conviction into our hearts. So respond to the Spirit. Thirdly, uh, we reap what we sow. I want to read verse 21 again. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then in Galatians 6, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows... That will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then from Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, you hear that and you got to go... Okay, it, it feels like Paul is like tossing me back on my own good works again. Now what, what Paul is doing is he's warning us not to presume that we are Christians simply because we're in a church or because we walked an aisle or because we prayed a prayer at some point. He's, he's telling us to examine our lives to make sure there's actually fruit that's grown up from, from the change that is supposed to be there within our hearts. Uh, He's agreeing with what James said. Those of you who were here last week when Pastor Thomas talked about James, he's agreeing with James that we're saved by faith alone, but that faith never is alone. That it always produces good works 
in our lives. So let me say two things about this. Number one, if you excuse me, if your life is characterized by indulging the flesh, if that's what characterizes it, I'm I'm not talking about you mess up and, and you repent or you're you're struggling with something. It's like your life is characterized by indulging the flesh and not characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. You really should ask, do I know Christ? You should ask yourself that question. But I would encourage you, if, if you're prompted to, to wrestle through that, not to do that by yourself. That's one of the reasons we have pastors and we have elders. Because some of us are going to prone to be, be way too easy on ourselves. And some of us are going to be prone to be way too hard on ourselves, just by bent of our personalities. So if you're wrestling with that, don't wrestle with that by yourself. Wrestle through that with somebody else. Secondly, um, Paul is telling us, he's pointing us toward a path for growth. And that's by sowing to the Spirit. If we want a spiritual harvest, we have to plant spiritual seed in our lives. We have to devote ourselves to these means of grace, the Word, the prayer, and sacraments and being together for worship we have to plant spiritual seed in our life if we want to see a harvest of spiritual fruit Uh, two more real quick we have to rely on the spirit Uh, unless the lord builds the house the laborers labor in vain so your pursuit of holiness has to be done in reliance on god and then finally you have to run back to jesus uh, over and over again when, when you find you've messed up, when you find you've sinned again, we are called to repent, right? We're called to repent. But repentance is not us um, trying hard to be good for a little while and assembling our resume and handing it to Jesus and say, see, will you accept me now because I'm doing so much better? I think that's how we, we think of repentance. We almost turn it into this work that we've got to offer to Jesus. Repentance is turning from our sin and running back to Jesus and once again resting in what He has done and not anything that we do. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. So remember who you are and respond when the Spirit presses the Word of God in on your heart. Remember that you reap what you sow. Rely on the Spirit. And always, always, always run back to Jesus. Run back to Jesus. I'll close with this. Uh, If you're a believer, it's kind of like you were an old house on the side of the road. This ancient uh, crumbling house with a sign that said condemned out front. And when you believe the gospel, God came in that very day and he took that sign out of the front yard and he threw it away and that sign that says condemned will never again be placed in your front yard. In fact, one day that house will be completely restored and there will be a sign out front that says open house because God wants everybody to come in and see the work of restoration that he has done in your life. But we're not there yet, are we? Like we're not. We're no longer condemned, but we're no longer restored. And we're, we're somewhere in here in the middle. We're in the process of being restored. And that's hard some days, isn't it? Because you're so frustrated that you feel like, I wish I was so much. I wish I was 
doing so much better. We're not what we want to be. But it's also, y'all, it's also reason for celebration. Because we're not what we were. We're not what we were. And no matter how far along that line you feel like you may be, God is the one who's gotten you there. And if he's gotten you there, he's going to get you to the end. So, So put your trust in the midst of the very real struggle. Put your trust in that and rely on Him. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, um, the, the, the process is very frustrating at times. Um, we, we struggle with the flesh. Uh, we give in to the flesh some days. And so Father, I pray uh, in the midst of all of that that you would help us to repent and to run to Jesus, and to rely on Him. And I I pray, Father, that You will do as You have promised, and that You will assure us that You're going to do as You have promised, that the the good work that You have begun in us, that You absolutely are going to bring that to completion. And that the words You have spoken over us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that that is absolutely true no matter how badly we messed up last night. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.